Um, again, thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to Homeless Baptist Church. Take your Bible, if you will. Your copy of the Word of God right there in your hands. And turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I just want to tell you that uh, we've been praying for the Klaus family. For those of y'all been uh, praying for that as well. Uh, they arrived a few days ago. They send their greetings this morning uh, to Hornfels Baptist Church. One of our missionaries here, just right down the road here in, in Oberfraundorf. Uh, about, what, 20 minutes maybe? Somewhere around there? Uh, German work. Uh, they're reaching the Germans, uh, the German speakers, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're back and they're excited. But pray for them. They are, for the first time in their life, empty nesters. All three of their children are away. And uh, that's, that's a change. I know that is. Uh, but, but again, this morning, uh, take your Bible and turn to Second Peter. And I want you to pay uh, attention down there to verse number 15. Uh, we'll begin reading right there. We're going to read all the way down through chapter 2. Uh, a little bit, not all of chapter 2. Uh, but uh, read with me, follow along as I read. Verse 15 of Second Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, Moreover, I will endeavor... That ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father the, uh, honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Verse two of chapter or verse one of chapter two says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them even uh, and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetous, covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the word, upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And then lastly, verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the just unto the day of judgment to be punished. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the cross. Lord, there are some truths in here, some unfortunate truths, Lord, that we need to get a hold of this morning. Lord, help me to deliver and to convey what you've given me. Help me to preach your word boldly and without reserve, Lord. Use me, Lord. Lord, help me be 
as part of the message as possible and at the same time out of the way so that you can have your way and will. And Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for these folks that gathered around to worship you. Lord, we just saying it is well with our soul, Lord, and that can only be true is if we have uh, you in our hearts and minds and in our soul, Lord, we've been redeemed. And Lord, it is truly well with our soul if we've been redeemed. We have a home in heaven. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for coming out of that grave. And thank you for paying our sin debt, Lord. And we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. And we ask these things in your precious and holy name this morning. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through Second uh, Peter. If you want to go to the next slide real quick, Johnny. And then just follow along. But uh, we're going to talk about some reliable reminders this morning. And again, if you've been going through our scripture immersion right there in Second Peter, this entire, uh, this entire letter, uh, it's really not that long, but I hope it's been a blessing to you. you if, and if you've been doing that, you've noticed that Peter had a great desire to remind those that he was writing to of some core truths, even some unfortunate truths. Uh, as we will look at these things, we will we will look at each one of them. And last last Sunday, if you want to go back to First Peter, uh, we finished with verse thirteen, kind of twelve and thirteen together. But look at verse thirteen. Peter says, "I think it's meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance." So he wants to remind us. Peter wants to remind them. God wants to remind us of some some really important things. And God, through Peter, this morning. Well, let me back up some. So God, through Peter, one of the original recipients of that letter to get a hold of some things. And God, through the writings of Peter, wants us to get a hold of some things as well. Because all scripture is profitable. All of it is profitable. Even even this passages here, even the ones that we don't want to read about, we don't want to talk about. You know, we read through Job and we kind of maybe deep down inside. I really hope that doesn't happen to me. You know, and but all of those things are profitable for us. God wants the same for us today. And if again, if you've been reading through Second Peter, it's very applicable. There are some things in there that maybe jump out at you that you can see on the news today. I mean, there's talking about riots and there's talking about those talking against Jesus and all these things like that. And we're going to get into some of this uh, here this morning. But I want to start off quickly in the beginning here by looking at verse number 20. Remember, remember, Paul or Peter wants us to know some things. Verse 20 says it begins with knowing this First, and then I want you to jump over to chapter three, verse three, the same phrase Peter uses there, knowing this first. So knowing this first here in chapter one and knowing this first there in chapter uh, three, verse three. So between this morning's message and next week's message, we're going to look at some reliable minders. We'll give you three or four today and three or four next week on what I think the Lord wants us to hear, wants us to take heed to. And I want to point out also, as we, as we get into the, the text here this morning, that this, this is the Word of God. And we're going to talk about it. That's going to be kind of our, our first point here. But these are not just reminders for us to remember. Remember, They're not like, hey, make sure you know your multiplication tables when you're in seventh day, because they're going to do you good in life. And by the way, how, how many people still know some of those things, right? Am I the only one, right? I know you do. You teach it. Uh, but we still know that because it's been drilled into our minds. We know those things. And then there's a saying in the, in the English language, I before E, except after C, or in sounding then. Like as, the yeah, there we go. So we, we, we know those things. Those are good reminders for when we speak. This is more important than that. These are the words of God. These are spiritual footholds for our souls. These are 
If you can imagine yourself climbing up a, a, a mountain, these are rock face anchors that can support your entire weight. They will not move. You can hold on to them. You can, you can climb up there and know that you grab onto this truth. It's not going to move. They're anchors for our lives. These reminders are reassuring truths, but some of them are unfortunate truths that they're going to be there for a while. But either way, God wants us to be reminded of these things. These are important things. And the first reminder for us this morning is found right there in verse number 19 through 21. It says, knowing this, or we have a more sure word right there in verse 19 of prophecy, wherein, uh, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So number one, we have an unwavering word. We have an unwavering word. You know, we could really use a number of adjectives here for the word of God. Unwavering, unfailing, unfaltering, unchanging, pure, authentic, perfect, holy, life-changing, and so forth and so forth and so forth. This, these are the words of God. And if you think about that, when Peter wrote these things, he himself was moved by the Holy Spirit to write down eternally that Scripture is not some concoction that man put up. These are the words of God. There, there are no private interpretations of these things. And you can look at that private interpretation of one of two things. We're going to look at one this morning. Uh, in other words, the Bible did come through personal styles of holy men of God. We see differences in, in the writings of Moses to Isaiah and Jeremiah, Peter and Paul and all these, all these folks like that. But every word, every word is what God wanted them to write. Each word is what God wanted to convey. Matthew 5.18 says, Jesus, or records Jesus as saying, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. One jot, that's accents. You know, that's like dots on an eye in the English language, umlauts in the German language. None of them are going to pass away. They'll always be. Isaiah 40, verse 8, Peter quotes that in his first epistle. He says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of our God shall stand forever. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver, tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's the Old Testament. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 160, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Friends, the scriptures go on and on about how true and how special the word of God is. It endures forever. It cannot be broken, Jesus says. It cannot be broken. It is unwavering. And while the Guinness Book of World Records states that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, I fear it's probably the most neglected book of all time. It may be sitting on many people's shelves on the mantles of many homes, but I wonder how, how many hearts it's found its way into. You know, when listing the, the weapons of spiritual warfare there in Galatians 6, Paul wrote that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. 
And Hebrews 4.12, the author there writes, The Word of God is quick, it means alive and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the intents of the heart, the thoughts and intents of the heart. What other word does this? No other word does this. These are the words of God. And I'm afraid that we as Christians, it just, yeah, I mean, I have probably 30 copies of the Word of God in my home. 30, maybe 25, but north of 20. There are people who don't have any. I, bet I was reading a book during the Cold War by this uh, missionary named Brother Andrew. His whole, his whole mission was life to, was to give the Bible to the people who didn't have it. And he was in, I forget, one place in, in uh, Eastern Bloc uh, Europe here. And he got there, and the only copy the man had uh, was a Bible that started at like Genesis chapter 48 and went to like the Gospels. And everything else was ripped out because the people actually ripped the pages out and rolled them to make cigarettes. And he was so happy for that Bible. And when that missionary got there and it gave him what was in his car, like 50 Bibles. This was a preacher, mind you, the guy with half a Bible. And he gave him all of those Bibles in his car. That guy just cried. He cried because he had the Bible. Oh, if we can return to that. If we can get a hold of that. Listen, God didn't give us his written word so that we can have some bus-selling heavenly novel when, that we can read when we are bored. No, these, these are the words of life. And a couple of the men of I have been talking, as this world gets more polarized, every day goes by, we seem to be farther and farther apart from the right and wrong. And as the day dawns closer and closer to our Lord's return, Christians need to know that they have a more sure word. We must know that we have a more sure word. You know, there are very few things in this world that do not change. And with this corona thing coming on these last few months, things have changed that we thought would never change. Right? I mean, there is, I mean, look at the world. All around the world, we wear these masks. Who would ever envision that? Who would have thought of that? Churches closed in America. There's churches right now in North Carolina that are getting a fine of $5,000 every service that they are in. In two counties, I know of two churches, north of fifty dollars or $60,000 right now. They're just like, I'm going to meet. And by the way, they're not just rebellious churches. When they went through the March and April, and all, they closed their doors. They went online. And now the, the numbers are down, and the law just keeps says you can't. But you can go to other places, but you can't go to church. So they're being fined. Why? Why do they make that stand? Because they believe this book. They believe that it's true. And for us as Christians here in Germany, kind of removed from some of those things over there, I think the Word of God should be a very familiar finger hold. It should be one of those anchors that we're used to holding on to. You know, if you, if you were to like climb on a mountain and, and you've climbed it a number of times before and you know there's a stretch that's maybe kind of a little sketchy as you're climbing up there, but you know if you can get to that one, you can hang there. The Bible should be that for us. You know exactly where to go. You know your book. You know where to go. It should be a familiar finger hold, an anchor that we know where to go to get it. In fact, verse 19, Peter writes that we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Take heed to it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Well, the world in which we live is very much like a dark, a dark place. And the word is the light that shines Psalm 119, 105 says, It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Notice that, a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my 
you know, uh, my path. It lights my path. Many Christians the world over don't know what their next day is because they're not lighting the path. They're not in the book. They just want some big heavenly airplane to fly by with, go to Germany as a missionary. They want all those things, but the messages are here, right in the book. And if you remember one thing, only one thing this morning, remember that we have a more sure word. Remember that. Now, we're going to talk about some other things. And if you forget those things, you can find them right here in, the more, in a more sure word. If, you're, if you forget it all, remember that. But in this word, well, let me just say this. And maybe I'm beating a dead horse, as they say. But these are the words of God. And I think if you've been here long enough, you, you probably know that I, I go off on a tangent sometimes about the importance of the word of God. There can't be enough of them. I don't know if that's good English or not, but it's truth. We need the word of God. These are the words of Almighty God right in your hands. In your hands. If we view this as Moses viewed those Ten Commandments coming off that mountain, we would be better off in our walk with the Lord. But it's the same. These are the same words. And in this word, Peter gives us a couple more reminders. A type of precaution, if you will. Remember, he, he writes in verses 19 to 21 about about how the Scripture is important and we must heed to it. But in the next chapter, he begins with an urgent warning. Look at chapter 2. So he, he writes all these things about the, the Bible and holy men of God spake as they were moved by God. But, but, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. There is an urgent warning here. So in this text this morning, I purposely started with the Word of God. And we're going to end, that's a positive note by the way, and we're going to end with a positive note. But this ain't going to be fun. That's not good English either. But this isn't going to be fun. This is the Word of God. And He's going to give us some warnings here that really should be some eye-openers for the world to see. God, through Peter, is warning us of some opposition. Just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament, we're going to have false teachers in the New, in the New Testament times. Most of us you know, would rather ignore the real world events of today. We turn the news on and I was like, well, I'll look at the news again in two weeks from now because it's disturbing. It's sad. We want to return to our blissful ignorance. We, we like that. I mean, remember when you were a child, you know, you're eight or nine years old. Who thought about the president? Who thought about the end of the world? Who thought about all of those things? Who even thought about just, you know, the corona? I mean, I see our children wearing the mask. Do they comprehend I mean, they know they're putting the mask on and all those things, you know, but I can tell you, they probably don't care about Corona and the virus and all these things. They have mom and dad. It's bliss. It's, it's great. And I'm with you. I don't like watching the news. And in fact, I rarely watch it. And then when I do watch it, I'm like, oh, man, why did I turn that on? But we have to be, we can't just stick our head in the hole. We, we have to pay attention. But I'm with you. I want, I want to be happy. I want to, be, I want to have that almost that willingly ignorance that we'll talk about next week. But we can't do that. So God 
leads Peter here to warn us of some things, of some times. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but we didn't read the entire chapter or of chapter 2. Every verse in chapter 2 talks about the wickedness in this world. Every single verse. And almost every verse in the, cha- in the, entire, bo- in, in the entire epistle here. But every verse in chapter 2 warns us or reminds us of the evil in this world. In this chapter alone, speaking of these false teachers, God gives us more than 20 attributes of these false teachers. More than 20. We will not go through all of those. Uh, it's more like 23 or 25. And I'm going to talk about, um, look, at, look at verse 3. And through covetous now shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time. So just counting the first half of that, not what's coming to them. So the attributes of what they are doing, over 20. What they're, what's going to happen to them? I didn't count that, but probably a lot. Probably a lot. Let's look at some of those characteristics. Look at verse number one. It says, they shall bring in damnable heresies privately. Privately. This is doctrine masquerading as truth. Is that happening today? Is it happening in our media? Is it happening in our churches? Hopefully never this one. Doctrine masquerading as truth being snuck into the pulpit. Sneaking into the pulpit, sneaking into the pews of God's church. Look, these are, this is written to believers. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. That's not in the world. That's among you. That's in the pews. That's in the seats. That's in the Christians that you fellowship with day in and day out. They're among us. We must use this as a litmus test to keep us straight, to keep those damnable heresies out. And what kind of heresies? Look at that. Verse 1 again. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. They deny that Jesus Christ paid the purchase price for their sin. They deny the atonement for themselves and for the world. It's almost like saying, I know you think you have a more sure word. But did God really say that? Did God really say that? Jesus didn't die for me, and he surely didn't die for you. A damnable heresy, the Bible calls it. The Apostle Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 4, verse 3. He says, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. That spirit is here, according to 1 John, within those false teachers. And verse 2, back in 2 Peter, tells us that many shall follow their pernicious ways. Friends, I really don't. I just want to preach John 3.16, to be honest. But we're going through this. I believe the Lord led us to 2 Peter. I believe he led this message here. And if you've been here more than six months or a year, I am not a negative preacher. I like the positive things of life. I like talking about eternal life and the blessings we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also want to be true to the scripture. I also want to preach the whole counsel of God. And the Bible says that many... That's believers shall follow their pernicious ways. That word pernicious means destructive. And you might ask yourself, why are their ways destructive? Look at the rest of that verse. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Their destructive ways 
is by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Think about that for a moment. The way of truth will be evil spoken of. Who is the way of truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But these false teachers, according to Peter, will speak evil of that way. They will specifically speak evil of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will even deny his atoning blood on the cross of Calvary. These are the false teachers. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to buy that. The Bible says many, many will follow them. How do they get to that? Well, how do, how do we get duped, if you will? And we'll get to that here in a moment. But I want to point out for now that there is so much confusion in this world. So much confusion in this world. And when it comes to religion, you might think that it was that if religion is so important, God would have made a way where it was so clear. Right. That makes sense, doesn't it? If religion is so important, then God would have made a way. God would have made a way that was a whole lot clearer than what this world presents. Well, I want to submit to you that God did make it clear. He says, I am the way. He made it abundantly clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. He is the only way. He is the only true way for forgiveness, the only way for redemption, the only way to eternal life. Jesus is that way. He is the door. You must come through Him. If you try any other way, you're going to fall short. You must come to Jesus Christ. The religions of this earth are not of God. The Greek word used for religion is, is only five times in the entire Bible, all in the New Testament. And every single time it's connected to works. Every single time. But Jesus did not die so that we can have religion. Right? Amen. Jesus did not die so we can have religion. He died as a payment for our sins so that we could have a relationship. There's difference between a relationship and religion. You know, I was listening to a preacher a couple days ago, I think maybe even yesterday, and he talked about he likened the Christian walk with a marriage. You know, and the Bible kind of does that as well. You know, God speaks of uh, our, our marriage is a picture of Christ and the church because the church is married to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he pictured maybe a husband or a wife and they're bickering back and forth. And one of them's right and one of them's wrong. And it's, let's be honest, it's usually the husband that's wrong. Right, Brother Shannon? So it's usually us, and we go back and we, we apologize and, and we say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And what, what mom is going to say or what spouse is going to say, whatever, go away. No, they're going, if they love you and you're truly married in the eyes of God, you have a good, strong biblical marriage, it's like, yeah, no worries. I've already forgiven you. You know, it's, it's already there. You've already, you've already and the, the same is true the other way around with the wife going to the husband. Now get this, when you're estranged to each other, when you're, when you're arguing, when you're bickering, and when you're sitting in your room and she's sitting in her room and you don't want to talk and all those things like that, are you still married? You are. Praise God. Now think about that with your salvation. When you're bickering with the Lord and you're not being obedient to the Lord, we still have a relationship. A relationship that's based on His merit, not ours. A strong relationship. So God didn't die so that we can have religion. Religion, by the way, is doing all those things, trying to earn that relationship. A relationship with Christ is doing all those things because I have a relationship with God. I come to church because I love God. I read my Bible because these are His love words to me. These speak right to me. I love Him, so I worship Him and I live my life for Him. Not because I'm trying to earn anything from Him. When I buy my wife flowers, I'm not hoping she stays married to me. Maybe there was a time <laughs> when I did that, but not anymore. When I buy her flowers, I do it because I love her. 
Not because I'm expecting. I'm trying to earn that love anymore. So we have a personal relationship with him. And again, when we look at all the confusion and all the different religions in this wicked world, it's not because God wouldn't make it exciting to get to him. It's because false teachers have muddied the waters. False teachers have came in and made it difficult. They tried to counterfeit the true relationship, counterfeiting even the word of God. We must be very careful. There are many counterfeits. What is the first thing that Satan attacked? The word of God. The word of God. Is it no mistake that he's still attacking it today? We must be wise. Avoid the confusion and trust the book. False teachers have secretly bought, brought in heresies right alongside the truth. What's, what's the old saying? The best lie is what? 99% true. Best lie. 99% true. False teachers are leading here in the paths of destruction. False teachers are speaking evil of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, is it any surprise that the name of the true God is blasphemed? You know, is it, is it no surprise that if you, if you go to watch a television show where you stand in line longer than you should at some places, maybe at, the, at a gas station or something like that, especially on the base here, something goes wrong and you hear the Lord's name in vain. It's no surprise, right, that you hear the true God's name blasphemed. We don't hear much negative about Muhammad, do we? We don't hear much negative about Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell or even Satan himself. But we hear Jesus Christ's name taken in vain all the time. Why is that? Because he's real. He is God. And everything else wants to counterfeit that. Listen, folks, these warnings are written to believers because many believers and those who are close to believing are going to follow their pernicious ways. Look at verse 3. It states that through covetousness shall they with feigned or fictitious words make merchandise of you. Through covetousness, they shall, with fictitious words, they're going to purchase you. Now, I preached a message uh, a few weeks ago talking about rising above the rhetoric. There's a lot of rhetoric in this world, and as Christians, we must be above that. We must fight spiritually, and when we get pulled into all the rhetoric that we see today, all of it, and you can let your mind drift for a little bit, but not too far, all the, all the extremes that we have in the world, if, if you're not this, you're that. If you're not this, you're that. All back and forth. We, as Christians, need to be above that. We have a God who's in heaven, who is our father. And this book here tells us that through covetousness, they're going to trick us. They're going to purchase us, make merchandise of us. They will specifically appeal to our desire. That's covetousness, our desire to have more. And many times that our mind drifts to money or, or things like that. But that's intellect, acceptance, um, clout. Whatever you want to do, our desire to have more of that, they're going to use fictitious words to purchase our allegiance to them. We must be very careful. The Apostle Paul here wrote that there will be false teachers among you, and he wrote that in around A.D. 68. Thirty short years later, the Apostle John writes 1 John chapter 5, and he says they're already here. Already here. The Antichrist that we, walk, that we, that we read about there earlier. Friends, I think as... As we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, the time for sitting on the fence is over. We must make a choice. We are either carried away by these heresies or we take heed to the warnings here. And if you have never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, the first step in heeding these warnings is receiving Christ as your Savior. 
we must realize that we don't measure up to God's standard, that we fall short of His glory, and that we need His forgiveness. And when we recognize our wretchedness in light of His righteousness, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've called upon the name of the Lord. And based on the authority of the Word of God, I have a home in heaven. I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you do as well. Call on Him today. And for those of us who do believe, or maybe still on the fence, we've been warned. We have His unwavering Word, and we can see that it's being attacked from all sides. We, and even so, we can depend on His Word, and it will see us through. He will not let us down. The Lord, the Lord promises these things. And even though as we, it seems like we're living through some of these warnings. The Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. Know that we can trust the book. You know, the Bible states in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. I like that verse. I know God is always with me. I told my children when they left home that, you know, you might not be able to always call mom. You might not be able to always call your brother. But God is always with you. You can always get a hold of God. 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the Spirit or hath the witness in himself. In other words, we have God within us and we know that we have God within us. We have a witness within us. We have God's Word and we have God with while Peter writes much about the attributes and the outcome of all these false teachers, those 20 plus other things, he also sheds light on something I think is pretty special. Look at verse number 5. We're going to jump down of chapter 2. We'll jump down a few verses here. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, And he spared not the old world. In my Bible I got but saved Noah. Verse 7, And delivered just Lot. And then verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly. So we have an unwavering word. We have a, a warning, an urgent warning, but we also have an unlimited warranty. An unlimited warranty. You know, many things today come with some type, some type of warranty, right? Some of them you just, when you buy it, like maybe a McDonald's toy, I don't know if they even come with warranties, but they shouldn't because they break, right? So anyway, you get stuff like that and wherever it's made, you get some kind of a warranty, but they never, they never come through with your warranty. Some people do, some people don't. But the Bible has some warranties. The Bible has some limited warranties. But there is an unlimited warranty. For example, speaking of one of those limited warranties, Psalm 1 states that the godly man shall be blessed, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But just like any warranty, we must read the manual. Right? You can't just go use something and, and then it breaks because you used it the wrong way. But we have a manual. We have a, ma a life manual right here. I just want to point out that God is not obligated to bless a Christian who doesn't practice godliness though he is still godly positionally in Christ. Like 2 Peter chapter 1, this man hath forgotten that he was purged. Right? I've lived a life, unfortunately, a few years away from God with the witness, the conviction of the Holy Spirit within me and continued to quench and try to grieve the Holy Spirit. But eventually, he just... And this makes a whole lot more sense. And I think if more you pay attention to that, that, that leading of the Holy Spirit, it's, if you're a true believer, you're going to come back. But God didn't bless my paths. There were things that just didn't work out. And I'm not preaching here a, a social gospel or a you do this and God's always going to bless you with millions and millions of dollars. Here. I'm, not, I'm not teaching that. God can if He wants. That's His prerogative. 
but we have an inner witness that when we live for God, there is prosperity here. And when it comes to our salvation, though, we who are truly in Christ will always be in Christ. Based on Scripture, we know how to be in Christ. We know how to know these things. We mentioned last week, verse 13 of 1 John 5, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And to drive that point home, I believe that God led Peter to choose these two people. He chose Noah and Lot. Could he choose two more opposing characters in the Old Testament? I mean, wow, right? From Noah to Lot. Genesis 6, 9 says Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. But Genesis 13 says that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, where the men were wicked and sinners exceedingly before God. Talk about a contrast. Two men with two very different outlooks on life. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Lot looked for the grime of the land. He lived with the, with the wickedness. But God, through Peter, calls Noah a preacher, and Lot he calls just. What gives, right? What, in all their differences, the secret is belief. They believed. Even Lot. And I think all of us have been Lot from a time to time. The secret is knowing that you have eternal life. Knowing that you have faith. I don't believe that, that we can lose our salvation. And I believe in the Old Testament, the Bible clearly teaches that they come to salvation the same way we do. By the shed blood of our Savior on that cross. Yes, they did it looking forward to that blood. And we look at looking back to that blood. But it's all under the cross. God saved Noah and God saved Lot the same way. And while Lot's life is not a license to sin... God forbid, the Bible says, Galatians 5.13 says that we have not been called unto liberty, liberty in Christ, only to use it for an occasion to sin. No, we don't do that. But his life, however, Lot's life, is evidence that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. If we read the book of Genesis, none of us would walk away believing Lot was a believer. It's just not there. It's just not there, but we see that God uh, saved him anyway. And in the big picture, Noah and Lot are an illustration of how God will deliver the New Testament saints from the wrath to come. And in the day by day, the practical part, how we live, how God can deliver us from every temptation. You know, when we sin, we choose to sin. Every sin that we have is a choice. It's a volition. It's a volitional uh, decision. We choose to do so. Verse 13 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, says this, There hath no temptation, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That sounds like an unlimited warranty to me. We have a way out. Every temptation, there is a way out. Listen, God knows what He's doing. He knows you better than you know you. And we have an unlimited warning that God will deliver believers based on His merit. If it was based on our merit, Lot would still be in Sodom. He would have, he would have been destroyed with all those things there. But it was based on God. And if we trust Him, and if we're paying attention to Him, we're going to see His hand. This past Tuesday, I was talking to the teens. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Now we know the big picture of that. They'll see God in heaven. But the pure in heart here will see God moving in your life. 
But you got to be pure in heart. And we pay attention. We have that pure heart. We will recognize those doors of escape in our lives. And we can choose not to sin because God has given us a way out. Even, even if we are vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked from day to day with their unlawful deeds, the Lord still knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And as we come to a close this morning, I want, you to remind, I want to remind you that the Word of God is dependable. It's dependable. Know that there will be some who will wish to deceive you. They're already here. They're already among us. And know that God can and will deliver you. Trust Him. Trust the Lord. Trust His Word. Heed His warnings. And know that He is always, always, always with you. Let us pray.